Thanks so much, Trevor and team. You can go ahead and turn in your Bible to Daniel chapter 6. That's where we'll be in just a moment. But I wanted to give a couple of announcements first and make you aware of a couple of opportunities. Uh, one is, I'm sure you've seen on the news, a significant earthquake hit Turkey and Syria not long ago. And I don't know, when I was researching this, found out it's actually one of the more significant earthquakes that has happened in the last century um, from like a magnitude perspective and the number of people that are already confirmed to be killed by that. And uh, so we have a partner in the region. Our church supports a missionary, uh, Hannah Shaheen, and we've worked through his ministry before for various things in the Middle, Middle East and Central Asia. And uh, he has people in that area that are um, you know, finding families that are in need and trying to serve them with practical help in Jesus' name. And so he reached out to us and said, hey, if, if your church would like to help us, we have, there's lots of, there's lots of need. And uh, so essentially $50 is what it takes to help one of the families that they're helping, kind of give them supplies for about a week. They're going to be supplying a number of families. They, initially, they're going to try to kind of pull in about 100 families a week to help them just get people on their feet. They're still, like the, the devastation hasn't really even been counted yet. They're still finding more uh, dead and injured as a result of all this, and so I don't know about you, but when I see these things on the news, you know, I, my heart goes out, but I'm so far away, I don't really know what I can do. And I like being able to give, if that's possible, um, but I like it even more if I know kind of like who I'm giving to and how it will actually, like how will my money actually go to the field and make a difference there, and how will I know it was used well. And so it's, you know, it's, it's I like going through people that I know. And so we, we know Hannah Shaheen, he's been here before and spoken to us about his work. Uh, we've been a supporting church of his for a long time, and so it's a, just a trusted friend that we can work through. So if you have a different way you want to participate, that's fine. There's no kind of goal we're shooting for in this. It's just an opportunity. If you would like to help one family or a hundred families or whatever the Lord leads you to, uh, you can give through the church and just designate it Syria Earthquake. You can also find that on our website if you give online, the, um, the first line that will appear there for the next three weeks. Uh, if you click click over to give, you'll see uh, that earthquake fund is there. And so we'll package up all those funds and we'll get that to the people who are uh, there on the ground in Syria to be able to help and uh, hopefully minister, not just to Christian families, but, but anyone who needs help, they'll be there uh, for them. Laps and no warning. And uh, so, you know, God gives us opportunity to, to pray. We can pray. Uh, he gives some of us opportunities to give. We can give. And, um, you know, just try to reach out in Jesus' name um, to people in this situation. There's actually a lot of things around the world right now that are kind of concerning um, and disturbing. And there's lots of reasons to pray uh, for people in need, for geopolitics and general global peace and, you know, a whole bunch of things that are happening. So I would encourage you as you absorb that news and kind of hear the latest headlines of the next crazy thing or fearful thing that's happening is turn that into prayer. Like Martin was saying, when you remember someone in your mind, turn that into a prayer. Oh, when, you, when you feel the instability of this world, turn that into a prayer. The other thing I wanted to mention is what's coming up in our annual family meeting that Tanya mentioned a little bit, uh, a little bit ago. We have a really neat church family and a long history of just God using our church to be a part of a lot of neat things. That annual meeting is when we kind of pop the hood under uh, open and just look at what's making all of that work. The leadership, the vision, the planning, 
Uh, we'll hear reports about things. We look at the budget and how we spend money. So it's, it's an important meeting to come to if you really want to understand how the church is working and be a part of what will happen next. Uh, there are five new uh, leaders who are willing to serve on our leadership teams. Uh, one of the things that we do is we have rotating leadership on some of our teams so that it doesn't all flip over in one year and it's all new leaders. Some of them will stay and some of them will come on each year. So the, the five names to just pray about and be aware of that we'll have a chance to confirm as a church family next week on Sunday night um, for the roles of elders, uh, Craig Anderson, who has served as an elder before, uh, he, he's willing to step forward and potentially take that role. Tom DeRosa, Tom's right there. Um, Tom's been a long time part of our church, and I think you were in the leadership structure in years past, is that, that correct? And uh, Tom's also uh, led in business, has a lot of experience helping things move forward. Um, and then also Mike Hildebrand, who's also a business and political leader who's been a part of our church for a long time. Uh, those three men have stood forward to be considered as elders. And one of the things I'm really excited about, all three of those names, is that when I think about where our church is and what our next steps are, um, we're a church that I believe we have a strong definition of what we believe and what's important. But what we see in the next season is opportunity to really grow and multiply what we're doing. And, and all three of these um, potential elders who would join our leadership team have experience growing and managing things that are growing. And so uh, we're, we're, we're hopeful that that will be a path forward for us to be able to add a lot of skill sets to our leader team. And then in the roles of deacons, uh, we have two new names that are coming to the surface. One is Jeff Robson. I think Jeff might be here. Jeff, you could raise your hand. Uh, Jeff's been serving in just many different ways throughout the church family over many years. And the role of deacon is just to be a servant and to say, you know, to help, help the workings of things happen. And then also Matt Sherwood. Matt, are you here right now? You, okay, you often see Matt up on stage playing guitar, and he serves in youth ministry and a whole variety of other things. That, uh, so one of the things we, when we're looking for elders or deacons, we're not necessarily looking for people who could do the job. We're looking for people who are already doing the job. They're just not named it yet. Uh, people who are already serving and sharing and caring and loving. And we just recognize as a church, hey, this is a person who's doing that. Let's make that official and give them a little bit of opportunity to help lead in decision-making. So that's all coming up in that meeting. So I really would encourage you to come to that next week. All right, well, we want to dig into the scripture here in our final segment of our service, Daniel chapter 6. I have to confess, I'm a little bit sad that we're at the end of this series. And somebody asked me last week, they said, well, we don't have to be at the end. Like, there's more chapters in Daniel. I said, yes, but have you read those other chapters, Daniel, we've been doing the narrative part, like the story, and it's, it's a blast, right? It's tons of fun to see how God works. Daniel 7 and forward is prophecy. And, uh, and so I, I was thinking about, like, you know, would we do that or would we come back to that? I think if we were going to do an all-in prophecy series, I think I would turn to Revelation, and we would do Revelation as the book and then refer back to the end of Daniel. But... You have to understand, like those of you who are like, yes, because some people say, please do it. That, that would actually be a lot more work than what I usually do, just so you know. Like getting into Bible prophecy and preaching about it is, um, I would welcome it, although I would probably let Pastor Dell just take the lead on that series, and he could, he could do all that study work, right? So no, we may do that someday, and um, today we want to look at what God did at the end of Daniel's life, and how one person ultimately was able to shine light to the whole world by the, just the consistent witness of who they were. 
And, and there are so many lessons for us in Daniel 6. So we're going to start there, and we'll fill in a few blanks as we go. All right, so Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. So if you weren't with us last week, Daniel was serving in the Babylonian government. He had been brought forcibly from Jerusalem to Babylon, made to serve the king. God used him in an amazing way there. He became a top-level leader. And then the handwriting appeared on the wall. Maybe you've heard that story. And the kingdom of Babylon came to a crashing conclusion. But Daniel wasn't killed in that. Instead, he survived that transition, and immediately the new government, the Medo-Persian Empire that had taken over the Babylonian Empire, they saw a whole bunch of potential in Daniel, so they wanted to start promoting Daniel as well to help them lead their empire. Okay, so that's where we pick this up. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. So you could imagine, like, we've got 50 states, they all have governors. Well, this is an even bigger thing than that, and so you've got 120 kind of governor characters. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interest. So of all the governors of all these 120 provinces and really the whole known world from their perspective, Daniel is on a team of three that's going to administrate all of this. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. So as soon as they started this new governance structure, they've got this little committee of three, everybody's kind of looking around going, you know what, Daniel's the one who knows what he's doing, let's just make him in charge. So here's Daniel, remember he started out when we met him you know, a few weeks ago in the series, he was a teenager in Jerusalem, his city was destroyed, he was moved to Babylon, not knowing what the future would hold, God has used him in a mighty way throughout the whole Babylonian kingdom era, now he's about to take, you know, kind of a primary leadership position in another global kingdom. But verse 4, we have a, a problem. The other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way that Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was always faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Just imagine if the whole government apparatus in Washington, D.C. decided to go after one single politician and dig up dirt. Do you think they could do it? I'm guessing they could. They, they do do it, right? And, uh, and so here you've got the, all the administrators of Babylon getting together and going, we're not going to listen to Daniel. We've got to find something. And they can't find anything, even though he's been a leader for his whole lifetime. Um, and so they, just, they, they say, you know, the only way we're going to trap Daniel is if we zoom in on his religion. Okay, and that's what they did. Verse 5, they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators, high officers, went to the king and said, long live King Darius. We are all in agreement. Was that true? Well, they left out one key figure. We are all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. The king says, you know, this is why I like you guys. You're forward thinkers. And you know, I've had a hard day. This is really, you know, man, I, 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 I welcome that devotion Sure, let's make that law. Okay, he doesn't realize what was happening. 
And then they said, and now your majesty issue and sign this law, ah, conveniently already written, so that it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So Darius signed the law. But when, and you think, in their governing structure, and their system, they didn't have an amendment process for laws they would pass. You think, that's really not smart, right? Because you're not going to get it right every time. So once the king signs it, he himself, even though he's a king, can't reverse what, what he signed. Verse 10, when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and freaked out. Well, if you're reading along, that's not actually what the Bible says there, right? What did he do? He went home. And he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. And he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. So this big law passes, all this fanfare. What about Daniel's daily schedule changed as a result of this law? Nothing. Think, well, you know, Daniel could have played this differently, right? He could have, he could have maybe like one of us would say, you know, a uh, time or two in our lives when we kind of slack off on prayer, maybe you say, man, I really haven't prayed that much the last 30 days. I'll just take the next 30 days off and then I'll kind of catch up and I know God will forgive me. He could have said, you know, I'm going to pray with my eyes open while I'm doing other things. Nobody will have to know. He could have even just said, you know, I'm going to close my windows when I do this prayer time. But he didn't do any of those things. He just kept doing exactly what he had always done. Open the windows toward Jerusalem, showing that's where his heart, you know, that's where his vision was. It was all in God's kingdom, not the kingdom he was serving in that moment. And so Daniel just courageously keeps right on going. I think here in this story, he's probably 80 plus years old. His whole life he's been this way. That is, he's, he's willing to be a politician, he's willing to serve, he's willing to change, he's willing to adapt, but he is not willing to compromise his faith. And so all throughout the book of Daniel, he's under threat of death for all sorts of things, and he never wavers at all. So here at the very end of his life, we don't expect anything different. He's super consistent in that way. Well, surprise, surprise, they all show up at his house at the right time because they knew he was consistent, and this, is, this was their trap. They've got to find him praying so that they can um, present that to the king. So verse 12, they went straight to the king and reminded him about this law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown in the den of lions? Well, yes, the king replied. That decision stands. It's the official law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be changed. Well, they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, which is pretty low if you think about it. This was 80 years ago or 70 years ago he was a captive from Judah. Right now he's actually the number two in the kingdom. But oh, well, remember, he's not one of us. He's a captive from Judah. He's ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Well, hearing this, the king was deeply troubled and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament, a predicament that the king signed him up for, right? In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law of the king's signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. Like the king saying, I can't, I can't help you, Daniel. I wish I could. It's up to your God now. 
A stone was brought in and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. And then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment, couldn't sleep at all that night. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, serve in the living God. Was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions? The guards in that situation must have been scratching their heads going like, I think our king is insane. <laughs> what is he even saying? But they were the ones that were surprised when verse 21 says, Daniel answered. Long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the mouths of the lions so they would not hurt me, for I have not... For I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed, and he ordered that Daniel be lifted from the dead. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who'd maliciously accused Daniel. Think about, like, that was a large number of people, right? All the administrators and high officials. Along with their wives and children... They were thrown into the lion's den. The lions leapt on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den, which tells me it's a lot of lions, and they were not like fuzzy kitties that were friendly, and Daniel just knew how to pet them or something. Oh, this was like a a, a great miracle of God that Daniel survived. We'll read the rest in just a moment, but I was thinking about what, what do we learn about Daniel in all of these interactions that we're studying, and it's not just chapter six, it's the first five chapters as well, we learn that Daniel was clear about his allegiance to God. It wasn't he? he? He had no doubt in his mind who he was serving, what he was about, and so it really didn't matter what the world around him was doing or what people were saying or the opinion of the earthly king, whoever was on the throne at that time. Daniel was just rock solid, clear, I know what I am, I know who I am. We also noticed that Daniel was remarkably calm, wasn't he? And again, throughout the whole story of Daniel, all all these times, he's under a threat of death all the time, and he doesn't freak out the way that we probably would be tempted to freak out. Daniel was very calm and resolute. Well, how could he do that? It's because his stability as a person wasn't rooted in this world. So for him, he wasn't looking at Babylon or Jerusalem or now Medo-Persia and going like, man, I, like if that falls apart, what will I do? What will I become? He, he was thinking about God's kingdom first. And Daniel was consistent in the witness of his life. Eighty plus years into the story, he's still faithfully praying. He's not wavering. He's not compromising. He's not playing games. Even when they searched for dirt on him, they couldn't find any. He wasn't corrupt. Daniel was extremely consistent in the witness of his life, and all of it added up to something amazing. Look at the last part of the chapter, verse 25. King Darius, who is not a Christian, although when you read what he's about to say, you think maybe he's becoming one here. King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world, peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. He will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His rule will never end. He rescues and he saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Which if you go all the way back to the beginning of our story... 
Remember when Jeremiah wrote a letter to the exiles, Daniel was one of them, and said, hey, your job while you're in exile, while you're in Babylon, is to pray for and work for the peace and prosperity of the city you're going to, because your welfare is go- or their welfare is going to be tied to your welfare. And here at the end of this life of faithfulness, it says Daniel prospered. Like God's promise came true even in that. But more than Daniel prospering, like look at what happened here. The superpower of the world at that time, Medo-Persia, the key leader of all of that, sent out a proclamation that said pretty much the opposite of the previous law, right? Don't pray to me, don't respect me. Recognize the God of Daniel is the living God. What an amazing burst of light into a dark world happened right there as a result of all the faithfulness of Daniel over all those years. I was thinking about how that might apply to you and me. What can we do that might be a little bit like what Daniel did? Well, we need to be clear. Be clear about who we are and whose we are. So Daniel didn't believe he was owned by Nebuchadnezzar or Darius or any of the other characters in the story. Daniel recognized his allegiance was to God. He was clear about that. So he was willing to serve in their governments. He's willing to add value, willing to work for the prosperity of the city. But that wasn't who he was And he wasn't owned by that work. You're like, well, that's true for us too. We're not owned by Babylon. We're not owned by America. Feels a little different to think of it that way, doesn't it? Like your future, your purpose, your identity is not tied to America. Say we work here, we live here, we, we hope it prospers, we hope it works, but you're more than just that. We also can be calm. The world does have, I mean, a 24-hour news cycle, they're looking for things to make us afraid about. And then when they find something that even might be fearful, it gets reported on for days, right? So there's a lot of temptation to freak out when things don't, personally when things aren't going well, nationally, internationally, there's lots of reasons to be afraid out there. But if your stability as a person is not rooted in how this world works out, You can care about those things, but that's not going to shake you because the kingdom of God is actually what you're about. That's why Jesus was able to say to the disciples in Matthew 6, hey, the world is out there worrying about what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear, how will it work out, what will happen tomorrow. He says, when you worry, it doesn't add up to anything. Instead, seek God's kingdom first and his righteousness, and God will take care of your needs. Daniel's life is is a testimony of that. And then lastly, we can be consistent. Keep honoring God, actively honoring God. So you think, wow, in sickness and in health, in in poverty or in wealth, in freedom or in bondage, when life is wonderful and life is terrible, when family is going awesome, when family is going terrible, when job is is like when you feel like you're going to lose your job or when you just got the best promotion ever like in any circumstance keep honoring God day in and day out and eventually it adds up to an amazing and powerful witness just like it did with Daniel I was thinking about that quote sometimes you you hear this in like uh, I don't know business books or whatever maybe productivity training they'll say people usually underestimate or they, they overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in 10 years. Um, So, you know, we set kind of aggressive short-term goals and we miss them, but if we thought in bigger time horizons, we realize, wow, like look at all the things that have been accomplished. 
Daniel's life, his witness, it took 80 years to get to this spot. But it was worth it. And so for us, we might be in the middle of our story somewhere. Like maybe, maybe you're in, your, in your Daniel narrative, you say, I feel like I just left Jerusalem. Like I don't even know where I'm going yet. Or maybe you're in the middle of just being faithful day to day with a whole bunch of things that are already on your plate. Or maybe you're toward the end and you're saying, I think I'm starting to see the fruit of all the crazy twists and turns of life. I see now that there was purpose to that. Here's, here's what you can be encouraged by. In all of that story, if you will actively honor God, God will make sure that your life adds up, that there's fruit. That's why Galatians says, don't, don't give up. You'll reap a harvest uh, when you keep doing good. So here's a word I want to give you today as we, as we part. My dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. So whatever part of the journey you're on, whatever you're struggling through right now, just dedicate that to God and say, Lord, in this moment in my life, in this season of my parenting, or this season of my work, or this season of my marriage, or this, the challenges I have at school, Lord, this season I'm dedicating to you, and you'll know that that work you do enthusiastically for the Lord is never useless. God will use it as part of his plan in your life that will add up to your witness to the world, just like it added up to Daniel's. So let's pray, let's ask for his courage, for his grace as we venture forward uh, with confidence. Lord, I pray that you would make us like Daniel, help us to be really clear in our hearts about whose we are, what we're about. Thank you, Lord, that we can look beyond this world for our identity, that our fate is not tied to America or to our family or to our job or to this church or to any other institution out there, but instead we are, we are referencing our lives to your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, that that gives us a spirit of calm, of confidence, that every step we take, even when it's difficult, we don't have to be rattled, we don't have to be shaken, we don't have to be stressed out because we trust you and not the things of this world. And I pray, Lord, that we would be consistent like Daniel. That today and tomorrow, in the moments of our day, in the, in the hours on our calendar, that we would be faithful with what we've been handed. That we would take advantage of opportunities that we're given. That in exciting times or difficult times, and everything in between, that we could honor you. Lord, would you use our lives to shine your light? Would you give us the grace that we'll need to keep moving forward courageously, boldly, whether there are dens of lions involved or something else? We, we want to walk the way Daniel walked. So thank you for his inspiring example in the Bible that we've been able to travel through these last six weeks. I pray, Lord, that we would now be building and experiencing our own story of seeing you at work in our lives as we live in this version of Babylon and contend with the challenges that we have all around us. We look forward to seeing your supernatural work in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. All right, we'll see you next week. God bless you.